Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host, Rodney Evans. As ever, here we are. This is the seventh episode in our Ready for Anything series on finding a better way of working through pandemics and other chaos. On uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about innovation, how we learn and evolve, how we invent the future, think about what's next. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to do a very innovative thing for this show, uh, a check-in round. We shall. It'll be meta, though, because ready for this? Okay, good. The check-in round question for today is, what was your last great idea? <laughs> the, well, as soon as I saw this question uh, on the board, I was like, this is one of those questions that I find a little dangerous because when I claim credit for ideas, I often hear from people that are like, actually, we had a conversation about that together. And really? I said, yeah, I feel like I definitely have a bad memory about like where things come from and who layered what on what. And so, um, so I always think that that's, uh, and I think other people do as well, frankly. Like, I think it's really easy at, to look back at something great that happened and be like, that kind of originated with me. And maybe it did, but maybe For it sure. didn't. Um, my, however, um, I think right now what I'm really excited about is uh, a piece of software that we're starting to develop for the ready and for our customers that you'll hear more about in the future. Um, and I'm really, really excited about kind of scaling and in some cases automating or in some cases just empowering teams with some of our stuff in a new way. I feel like my answer to this is like, so typically the dynamic that you and I have on this show and elsewhere in the world where you're like, I'm <laughs> creating opposite. an entirely new kind of software platform. And my really great idea is that we're going to get a second dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just like aware, you know, of the difference in those answers. But here's why it's a really great idea, even though we have not adopted this second dog yet, is that we are finding in isolation that our current dog gives us so much joy and also just a lot of entertainment because mm-hmm. he is uh, full of shenanigans all the time. And now just the idea of adopting a second dog and going through the whole process of figuring out how we're going to do that during quarantine, et cetera, it's kind of like giving us something to work on and look forward to that doesn't just feel like something we have to do, which right now, like yeah. everything we do all day is like stuff that like kind of needs to get done and this is the thing we're kind of just doing because we're like that's going to be fun because you want to yeah Yeah. because we want to and there's no like good reason for it we just want to so i feel like uh even though we haven't done it yet and when i'm not sleeping through the night i might not reflect on it as being a great idea right now it seems like a terrific idea to add a dog to this family (laughs) i think that is that's a that's a measurably great idea my idea is actually just an idea it isn't actually great yet we don't know until (laughs) until same sort of Um, yeah exactly and 
And for what it's worth, when Britt and I adopted our most recent dog, uh, Kaiser, we hadn't had a dog in a long time. And we were like, oh, it's going to be rough and sleepless nights and whatnot. And then we got him and it was just really easy. By compa- mm. I think like we when we were younger, it felt worse. It felt yeah. more disruptive and more right. like, and then and then in, in hindsight now, it's kind of like, oh, that was actually like pretty chill yeah. compared to other things we have to deal with. So yeah, uh, well, yeah so maybe it won't be so bad. Every day I tell Banjo that he is going to be responsible for raising his new sister. And also every day. Every day I tell him that she's gonna be better than him. So Mm -hmm. do you know just to keep him on his toes? But he's still a good boy. He's the best boy. (laughs) So today's topic is innovation. Although I wish today's topic was my dog's past and future, but it's not. It is innovation. So let's start with uh, just a brief like mapping of the terrain, if you will, Aaron. Yeah. So um, I think when we were kind of drafting the book and thinking about innovation, we were thinking of it very broadly. So most organizations, when they hear and say the word, they're thinking about R&D, they're thinking about very specific people inside the organization and what they do that the rest of us don't do. Some of us are innovative and the rest of us are not. Um, and it's very product focused typically. And mm-hmm. and our tack is very different. It's sort of like, hey, look, this is how we learn and evolve writ large, that mm-hmm. whole body of work. So it might be about product, it might be about how you go to market, but it might be about the HR process. It might be about onboarding. It might be about how you collect an invoice. It might be about how you show up to a meeting. Like innovation can happen anywhere. And so I guess the the sort of bedrock thesis is it should be happening everywhere or else you're not learning and evolving everywhere. Mm-hmm. And why would you want to have a system where different functions and parts of your business are not learning and evolving? That's mm-hmm. kind of the the base level. And I think now the question we're facing in the midst of, you know, pandemic and uncertainty is, well, then what is the role of learning and evolving in in this kind of situation? Is this the time and place for that? And if so, where? And if so, how? So that's kind of what I thought would be the um, the opening salvo on this. Cool. It feels weirdly more relevant to me in this moment than some other fields of the canvas. And funnily, mm. and maybe counterintuitively, I think it's easy to, when you're in survival mode, not be as worried about innovation. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I've had so many conversations recently about feedback loops and learning quickly and learning cycles and how to actually quickly iterate in a bunch of different ways. So this moment feels more ripe for innovation in some ways because there are a lot of forcing mm-hmm. functions. Yeah, I think so. And especially for um, fast innovation. Right. Like, it, you know, it is, there are certain kinds of innovation, like maybe making a new jet engine that take like seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is not that, right? Like, but, you know, it's, who knows where we'll be in seven years. This is about, there might be some kinds of innovation that have to happen week to week, day to day, mm-hmm. month to month to make it work, uh, either to keep the business afloat or to unlock a new possibility or to open a new market or to be ready when things calm down to to capture an opportunity. So I, I do think of this as like innovation and it's innovation focused on maybe a tighter timeline than it usually is. Yeah. And particularly as the external market might feel more wobbly, more variable and less out of the control of you and your team and your organization, what you definitely have the ability to innovate right now is how you work. And so Mm -hmm. I've been in a couple of those conversations recently where uh, it hasn't been me. It's been the client who said like, you know, I don't want to talk about a different product or a different service offering. I want to talk about just the areas of the canvas that support 
the way that we work and the way that we don't work right now because I actually think that's how we're going to get through this, which I think well, is super cool. That's music to my ears. I know, right? Yeah, my I heart mean, basically it's, exploded. It's smart, though, because as I think about it and reflect on it, um, there's a lot of people and customers out in the market, whether they be B2B or B2C or what have you, that are just not open for the new right now. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you have the the wit, like imagine launching a new phone right now or something. People Ugh, would just be like, "I don't want to learn cares? shit. I'm exhausted." You know what I mean? Like, we're yeah, yeah we're not there for that. You know, no. we're we're there to be distracted right now. We're there to to sort of be be comforted. Um, and in some ways, real innovation at, at the product level is quite challenging to the user and and mm-hmm. and fun for that reason. But I would agree. I think right now, getting innovative about how we work and how we show up, and maybe. Maybe if you're going to be doing product level innovation or service level innovation, it's got to be focused on that customer need, like Mm -hmm. what's new and different and now. And so it can't just be about your own selfish innovation and your own ideas. It has to be about meeting people where they are. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm seeing really consistently in more than one place is what is self-service? So there's a mm-hmm, ton, mm-hmm, yeah. a ton, you know, whether you're talking about food delivery or you're talking about a utility or you're talking about something else, you're banking. talking about technology, banking. It's like, I, I think a lot of the innovation that we're seeing really quickly and are going to continue to see is uh, is interactions that required presence between customer and seller that now suddenly have to be self-service in some way. Totally. It's funny. It's it's really funny, actually. I got a check from one of your customers today, hmm. and I was like, how the hell am I going to deposit this? Right. Like, the, the ATM won't take this. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. it was a real conundrum. I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that until now. And that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for paying your bills. Also, uh, maybe <laughs> we need to set up some kind of wire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll figure it out. But it was just one of those moments where you realize like that there's a little bit more depth to the to the conundrum than you thought where I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I thought about that. How do you how do you deposit checks right now? Yeah. So and I don't know. That's one of a million constraints that we're under right now. So rather than just focusing, which is very easy to do on all of the things that we can no longer do and all of the constraints that are confining or prohibitive or boring or frustrating? How can we think more creatively about constraints so that we do look back on this period as being one that was uh, kind of ripe for innovation and where we saw a lot of amazingly cool things emerge because of those constraints? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm curious what you think. I my mind, of course, first goes to resources where we just were, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, from from fewer resources and, and more scarce resources comes innovation often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of it. Um, but also, I think uh, sometimes it's, you know, it's the opposite of constraint where how can we have more happy accidents? How can we have more tries, more randomness, more serendipity as well? So mm-hmm. I think, it, you know, amplifying certain constraints that help keep us safe and open up the door to innovation, like how do we get how do we get this thing to to do more, um, you know, on a new level? And then also, ha- what do we have to get out of the way so that certain things can happen? And on the former, one of my favorite um, kind of theories uh, came from from one of the Google Labs where they were talking about this idea. I think it was Astro Teller talking about like if you tell someone to make something five percent more efficient, they kind of come at it with the same mm-hmm. playbook. Right. If you tell them to make it 10x more efficient, they have to kind of tear the whole playbook up and come at it a completely different way. And they might succeed, but they'll probably fail. Mm-hmm. But if they get it right, it'll be like this real, you know, step change. And so I do think that's one cool constraint to throw on is like, is there anywhere we want where we want to kind of make the goal so lofty that we have to rewrite the whole playbook? 
mm-hmm. and see what happens. And, and do we have, frankly, the wherewithal to do that right now is, is also a worthwhile question. Yeah. I think a lot of viewing constraints comes down to mindset as well. Mm. And when we do innovation work in lots of places, we ask people to artificially constrain themselves, which isn't the same as being really constrained. Truly constrained. Now also in a lot of pockets of the world, the ability to innovate in leaner times and under constraints is existential. So it's like, Mm -hmm. not only are we not making things up as a thought exercise, it's also like, you know, Bob's going to lose his job if we don't figure out how to deploy this to a customer because we're out of business. So I, those things can be sort of scary and like, uh, you know, adrenaline producing in not a great way, but they can also be really energizing. So one piece of it is just to appreciate to the extent we can, the moment that we're in, and that constraining ourselves and thinking creatively actually matters for real, real, which is cool. And the other thing is like, I've noticed this um, just since this all started, but I've noticed it at other periods in my career where I've had more space for a variety of reasons. I think in this moment where a lot of us are interacting less, we're consuming less news, hopefully y'all, Get off Twitter. It's not helping your brain. Uh, There's just space for more like goofiness. And I mean that in the Mm -hmm. best way. I just, I find myself staring into space and then having random ideas and connecting dots that aren't exactly logical. And I'm only saying that because I think we will, as we spend more and more time alone and bored frankly, we will have more and more ideas of how to amuse ourselves because that's what human beings do. We like make up games for ourselves so that we can stay functioning. And so that's I right. think that there's like a fuel in being isolated that there is there is sadness and there is depression and there's loneliness in that. And then there's also Creative the upside energy. of boredom, which is yes. our brains can't help themselves. They just come up with stuff. I saw a man who learned how to close all of the cabinet doors in his kitchen to the drum beat in In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins perfectly. Sure. Yeah. And it was like, that's innovation. Like, that's yeah. some, something's happening there that's worth noticing. Um, it's completely frivolous and silly, but it was like, that's what the human brain does if you just trap it. Exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, by day two, like you started to see the like domino videos on the internet mm-hmm, of people creating mm-hmm. the most insane things in their homes. So those are the kind of constraints that we don't have any control over. But in many ways, if we can look at them as something that helps us lean into our boredom, I think we could come out of this with some really cool stuff. I totally agree. And the counterpoint that I mentioned briefly earlier, but I'll just put a fine point on it now is there are other constraints that we need to blow up in order to get out of the way for innovation. And so I was looking, for example, last night, late last night at the uh, payroll protection program coming out for the federal government. And it's too complicated. And so a lot of banks were just like, Mm-mm, nope, not going to play yeah. on, on Friday. Like we're not going to do it. And so there's a ton of rigmarole happening right now about that. And the right move would have been to like remove all roadblocks and just be like, we'll figure it out on the fly, do this, get the money in people's hands. Like if we're going to do it, let's do it and just, mm-hmm. you know, shut up and ship it. So I think that um, we need both. And it's sort of like about being choosy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
we've talked before since we started this Ready for Anything arc about energy levels and maintaining energy levels. Uh, Let's not use our reserves to continue to enable and support bureaucracy (laughs) that's not serving us. Like we don't have, we're not all going to be able to make it through the marathon that way. So uh, let's just stop uh, doing shenanigans and channel that energy toward ideas that are actually going to help us out of this. Yeah. I'm not there for it. Not there for it. So do you see the role of innovation differently in this moment of chaos complexity, stress, unprecedented uh, emergent events as sort of peacetime innovation? Well, I mean, I think we've covered a lot of ground there with, or at least we've circled around it with with the previous conversation. But what I would add is just that um, it can be existential, as you were saying. So the, the, the thing about innovation is that you do it when you need it. And this is a crucible where a lot of businesses who can't do it the old way are going to have to do it the new way. And so I think that is, if there's a thing that's characteristic about this moment, it's the stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, the stakes are higher. And if you happen to be an airline or a hotel or a restaurant or a hospital or a government, like you're under the gun to innovate now and figure mm-hmm. out what is it we're going to do for X, Y, or Z. And I think we're seeing really cool signs of that where people are, you know, hand sewing masks and 3D printing ventilators and, you know, switching to all delivery in a restaurant that said they'd never be able to do it a year ago. I mean, some of my favorite restaurants in the world that you couldn't get a table in, you know, without a year in advance reservation are doing like on the fly lunch delivery now. It's just like insane, but that's what it takes to survive. And so I think that is, that's the only thing I would add is that um, when the stakes are high, human beings show up and, and we need to make uh, accommodations for that. That all lands with me. And the other thing is, in this moment, it feels like innovation is geared towards service. I mean, in the Mm -hmm. examples that you just gave, certainly, like, are there going to be war profiteers out there who are acting like maniacs? Of course, because there always are people who are going to be extractive in this moment, because that's how they are in all the moments. But... The kind of innovation that you're talking about and a lot of the innovation that I think we're going to see is people like, you know, giving tours of the Sistine Chapel for free right now for the first time ever and like, you know, making making masks. And and I think over time there will be more and more of that. And just like in our conversation we had the other day that is not out yet, but will be with Kevin Kelly. I think one of the really cool things about this moment is that when things are really tough historically, human beings have risen to the challenge. And so Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the innovation that we're seeing and will continue to see will be more of service to humanity than it is in like a boom economy. (laughs) Yes, I like that. I think it brings us all back closer to meaning making and to like really wanting to work on something that makes a difference, which is a nice place to start from and to emerge from. Yeah. So um, speaking of that, speaking of emerging, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what kind of renaissance from an innovation perspective you expect to see after the fact like are you are you optimistic are you pessimistic how do you you know what do you expect to see in terms of like how's the world different because of the stuff we invented Mm -hmm. on the other side so i'm as you know i'm very worried about this right now because of just the sheer number of people who are being economically impacted by what's happening that being said a huge percentage of those people are the creative class. So mm-hmm. I I am kind of like, 
excited to see what all of the artists and musicians who aren't touring and um, people who make like we've been in a maker moment for a while now because platforms have enabled people to do that. And it's just also like culturally more popular than it was, you know, 15 years ago to be making your thing as your side hustle. But right now it feels like a lot of people are going to be like doing their side hustle and a whole bunch of other side hustles like all (laughs) All the time. The side hustle is the main hustle. Yeah, that's the hustle now. (laughs) So I think there's a there's a realistic chance that if people can survive through this and our government can somehow get it together to uh, support people so we don't have actual like food wars, um, that we have a whole new body of work in terms of fine arts and and Mm -hmm. craft to to enjoy at the end of this. That's awesome. I hadn't really thought about that, but it makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm like hoping this is like the Patreon renaissance where it's like everybody gets through this because people who do jobs like ours that are like weirdly esoteric, but still pay the bills are just like, let's (laughs) fund the rando burlesque dancer who made like the interesting coloring book that brought me joy on Sunday morning. Yes, yes, that's cool. And I hope that we can lose the essential, non-essential labels as quickly as possible. Me too. <laughs> me too. I, I you know, humans are so essential. Yeah, it's weird. I wonder who came up with that. I wonder who the ad whiz was who was like, let's, this is what we're going to call this. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. It just feels uh, very reductive. What do you um, think yeah, is I on like the that. other side? Well, I, in some ways, I think it still sits on the edge of a knife of polarities um, mm. because I think it depends what I think the the positive outcomes depend on how we live through it and how we support people through it. And so, for example, if it crosses a threshold of being too poorly reacted to and too poorly supported, I could see a regressive movement coming out of this. Um, if it's reacted to appropriately, I could see a lot of you know, positive awakenings and novelty coming out of it. And and even I was having this conversation about remote work the other day where it's like, you know, your experience right now of remote work is not actual remote work. Like it's, right. this, it's this weird pandemic work environment. And so some people may come out of this and be like, that stunk. Like, I want to go back. I'm going to go back to the old way. Mm-hmm. They didn't really sample what we're selling. And mm-hmm. so I think that there has to be an acknowledgement of that. And to the extent that we can get into the groove of what this is and try to do it better and, and make it more, um, you know, enlivening and helpful and, and meaningful, I think people will come out of it with a lot more epiphany than uh, rather than just like trauma about like, yeah. oh, my God, my boss made me get, you know, be supervised on Zoom eight hours a day. And my kid was yeah. trying to get me to do stuff. And I, you know, I was traumatized. I think that's not the outcome we need. So, uh, so how we show up to this, I think, will dictate how those things fall out. The, the beautiful thing, though, about your statement is even regardless of how we handle it, you're right. There's probably going to be some really good work brought mm-hmm. into the world. There's probably some really good carpentry happening right now. Yeah. Um, and, and that'll be, yeah, that'll be a difference maker. A lot of my people uh, that I am very close friends with in New York and the surrounding areas are just people who, uh, you know, most of them are artists and that is what they do in times of stress. Like they make stuff to make sense of the world. And so I'm just hopeful that that is something that uh, we get to see a lot of. That's cool. I'm into it. One of the things that we've seen already is 
as always, there's like a bunch of supply for when there's demand. So like day one was like, how do we work from home? And then there were like 97 handbooks for like remote work. And like, we're having a conference and we're doing a webinar and blah, 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 blah. So that's fine. You know, people maybe use that. I have no idea. But what I'm curious to hear from you is when you are listening to what's happening environmentally and in the market, like how do you make sense of signal in the noise to steer innovation inside a company so that you're not just like following the immediate trend thing that might not actually give you any stickiness or lift, but like you're finding, I feel like you have a particular skill in finding like the slightly less obvious, but more important and sticky idea to pursue. Okay. Yeah. So I think a few things, one is, uh, is really just to sort of follow the, um, you know, the Bezos playbook of like, what's not going to change. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, while we're not, while we're not uh, massive fans across the entire spectrum of what Amazon represents in the world, um, one of the things that they did get right is, you know, what's not going to change. And so I think that, you know, that, that is part of this is, is, is looking at what are the things that are still going to be true and leaning into that. And that's more of like the medium term to long term uh, innovation strategy. Another one is um, to look for emotion. So I, when I look at the different things that are going on, I try to identify like, where is there an emotional wave that we're all experiencing that we're likely to continue experiencing that seems to be triggered not by a momentary phenomenon, but by a lasting phenomenon. And can we serve that, right? Is there, mm-hmm. a, is there a need for soulfulness? Is there a need for vulnerability? Is there a need for joy, for excitement, for humor, for wonder? Um, you can just see society and different subcultures kind of going through waves and patterns of that. And you can even look at our politics right now and see the emotion that's on that sort of people wear on their sleeve, but then you can also see the emotion that's underneath that. Mm -hmm. So I do think there's a lot of innovation to be had by looking at like, what's the emotion underneath the one we're presenting. So if we look angry, are we actually alone? Are we actually scared? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what have you? And then how can we, how can we serve that in a way? So I know that's a very general um, kind of pie in the sky way of looking at it. But to me, I'm just looking at all the news and trying to parse through it to see like what's the emotional watercolor underneath this set of news and and needs. Um, and then the last one that I tend to tend to lean on, although these are just three three lenses, I don't think they're this is not like a framework. Um, the other one is about convenience. And so one of the things that I think we've really missed the mark on with most of the reactionary, uh, innovation on this event is it all puts a lot on the listener, on the user, mm-hmm. on the end customer, where it's like, oh, here, read my 80 page guide to going remote and do it. Um, that's not how we work. And that's not how we metabolize innovation. Generally, we want to be helped in a way that is as seamless and effortless as possible. Most of human innovation throughout history is about making things easier for us, mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't want to cook rice put it in the rice cooker. (laughs) I don't want to pick up that hot meat. Give me some tongs. You know, like everything is about like make my life easier. And so, so I think what we need to be looking for are these places where we, where we have friction and where the friction is more pronounced maybe in this moment or where, or where we think the friction will be even more pronounced in the future and say like, yeah, that friction's got to go and I'm going to be the one to eat it. And so then you go and you think about that as a platform developer, as a software developer, as a technologist, as a social scientist, whatever it is, and like get that friction out. Um, So I would say some combination, like some Venn diagram of those three things would be where I would be noodling. Yeah. And to relate two of those points together, like 
I feel like the emotional tenor of a lot of what I see and hear is overwhelm. And then when there's mm-hmm. like the smallest barrier to the new thing, it's just like, <laughs> oh, like, so no. flip the table over. Like yeah, I, yeah, a, yeah. a restaurant in my area was um, like you could basically donate meals to uh, hospital employees and healthcare workers. And I was like, I saw it in on social media somewhere. And I was like, that's awesome. And they were like, text to this number. And I did. And then it like sent me to a link that I had to create a login. And I was just like, nope. OMG. We're done now. And it was like, Delete. you like, you like got to the emotional sensibility that I'm having, which is like, I'm overwhelmed and I want to help. And then immediately the bar was too high. And I was like, no, I can't do this. I don't have enough other energy to spend on this. Right. All now. I had was the energy to help, but not the energy to do that. <laughs> right. Like I just, yeah. I think that's right. An amount. Well, and like, here's a free one. Um, I think most people right now are craving control as an emotional kind of state that we have a need state for sure. And so anything you can do in your product or service to give the user more control over even little stupid stuff is going to pay weird dividends, I think, Mm -hmm. in the months and year ahead. Where it's like, I just want to be able to control my stuff more. So I have a place in my life where I don't feel like I'm out of control. And mm-hmm. if that's my New York Times reading app, great. <laughs> like wherever it is, I'll be happy to have it. And and yeah. so that would be a place where if I was a product developer, I'd be like, are there like three toggles we can turn on to give the user a little bit more control this week? Because mm-hmm. I think that will just create this weird aura of like, God, I really like being in this app right now. I don't know yeah. why, but the real reason is, you feel like you've got something that you can wrap your arms around. Yeah. Add those toggles, but make them intuitive so people don't have to learn a new thing. To right. Use no them. work. Really no easy. Work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a, but I mean, that's, you know, that's a funny paradox, but that is exactly it. Like somewhere in the tension right, between though. those ideas is right where we want to be. Yeah. One of the things we've heard from a bunch of you as we've been putting these out into the world is that you like some real tactics and some practical takeaways. And so before we wrap up here, we just want to give you sort of our greatest hits of uh, ways of getting at innovation that we haven't covered yet. So there are things like um, looking at accidents. You know, what experiment did you run that did not deliver what you thought it was going to deliver, but might have interesting results that are worth checking out? The microwave was an accident. Play-Doh was an accident. All the stuff we like was probably an accident. (laughs) And then also look, you know, similarly, like look at serendipity, look at where interesting collisions happen and where there is the unexpected. I think that in a lot of conversations that I'm having right now and things I'm seeing in the world, it feels so unpredictable and that does feel scary, but it also feels like there's the possibility of things happening that we didn't sort of assume would happen. So be looking out for those moments that you were not prepared for, but that you might be able to take advantage of and create something to respond to. Totally. It's so paradoxical, but like I'm saying yes to more stuff right now for Mm -hmm. that reason. Like, I just want to, like, end up in weird places. I'm saying yes to conferences. I don't know what they are. I'm just like, I'll do that thing because yeah. I don't know. And I feel like even though my time right now is a little bit leaner because of work from home and family and all that, I, I do feel like it's it's that's a necessary thing. Like, just be out there and be bumping into stuff Yeah, and see what I happens. Mean, the shotgun approach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. A few other reminders. We have... We've touched on a lot related to innovation over the, you know, over the episodes. I can't say over the years because we've only been doing this for a few months, but feels like uh, over the episodes. 
Um, you know, remember we talked about defaults versus standards and kind of having a way of doing something, but then letting people diverge from that default as long as they come back with their learning. It's a great moment to continue doing that. We've talked about barbell strategies and the idea of having like wild swings and sure things and looking at your portfolio differently when we talked about strategy um, and resources. So I think those are those practices really apply here in the innovation space, of course. Um, 20% time, which, you know, Google made famous and doesn't really practice very well anymore, uh, is still interesting. So maybe, you know, because, because we have a little bit off our plates as we shut down certain assignments, maybe we can give people, you know, a few hours or even a day or more a week to just pursue something they think is meaningful and aligned with the purpose, you know, things like that, I think are, are pretty important. And then just generally, um, let's not forget to use our scientific method and our scientific mm -hmm. thinking and also use our intuition and our empathy. So, you know, we can do certain things based on gut. We can also, um, you know, take a pretty uh, informed approach to like, let's try things, let's figure out what data will tell us what's going on. Let's sort of, um, you know, compare a B test, all that kind of usual stuff when it comes to innovation still applies here and it applies really strongly. And you can do, you know, imagine doing a test in the same day of like two different ways of doing delivery, which one made people feel safer and more, you know, and cleaner, which one felt smoother and more customer centric. Like you can do that. You don't have to go with one thing if you have the time to, to try two. So um, those are a few of the, of the greatest hits uh, that are worth, you know, dusting off. And just to add to the last one, Sometimes when we're inside our office and like swimming in the familiar culture, we're less likely to actually try some things that feel maybe not so like linearly like they produce results. And so yes. if you're someone who makes an app and you've been like, I really should download the competitor app and spend a couple of hours a week in it, like really do that now because mm -hmm. like you've already seen Tiger King. So chill out and just like get on that. <laughs> get on that app or like, you know, if you are spinning up delivery, like really now is the time to order from all your competitors. Like those things go by the wayside during the normal course of business because we believe that we can think our way to innovation and not just like experience the customer perspective of our competitors and of our own stuff. Now is a great moment to actually really like if you work in banking and you're in retail banking, like really go open an account somewhere else online and see how it goes. Now is a great moment yes. to actually try that stuff. Put yourself out there. Yeah, exactly. I like it. I like it a lot. All right. With that in mind, uh, I'm going to shut it down so that we can go order food and start a bank account and, you know, do whatever it is that we do to sample our to sample our competition. I can finish um, my beer. I don't know how that relates. <laughs> you do what you got to do. Uh, Rodney, thank you for joining me today, as always. It was fun. If you are enjoying Ready for Anything, uh, we'd love it if you gave us a review and forwarded it. A lot of you have, and we really appreciate it. And we read all your tweets. And I forward things to my mom that you say about me, uh, which is, you know, weird, but true. <laughs> so uh, so do it. It would be great if you would review us. It would be great if you would pass this around. It would be great if you hosted a listening party. Um, tell us. We might show up to it. Thanks so much. A virtual listening party. I like that. That's a good idea. Um, Quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin, as always, for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And uh, business is wild right now. Um, you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. We write back. We'd love to hear from you. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. Change something.